So today is, um, as I mentioned earlier, today is the, the last Lord's Day for 2023. And usually the, um, the verses that we're going to study today are there. They're usually read just before Christmas. Um, but um, in reality, that uh, the events that we're going to look at today um, probably took place anywhere from a month to maybe upwards of two years after the Lord Jesus Christ was born. Um, and some branches of Christianity, they do celebrate Epiphany. In fact, there's some, there's some folks that actually get the day off on January 6th. Wouldn't that be nice on occasion to celebrate the Epiphany? Um, so with that, the question we're going to ask today is, did you miss Christmas? And so if you want to follow along in your paper Bible or if you want to open up your app, um, go ahead and uh, go to Matthew chapter 2. So let's, let's begin with a, a quick reading. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he was inquiring of them, where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi, and carefully determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Now after hearing the king, they went, on their, they went their way, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, was going on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way. And so let's, let's uh, answer the question first, where are we? Um, so our, our study takes place first in Jerusalem and in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is about five to six miles south of Jerusalem. And that would be like maybe from here to the western end of Golden Gate Park, so 10 minutes by car if you're jogging, maybe an hour if you're walking, maybe two hours. And it's, it's not that far, and we're going to see soon why, why this distance is actually significant. So looking at our first set of verses, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So our, our, our first verse give, gives us uh, an idea of when are we. Um, Herod, the, Herod the Great, as he was called, ruled from approximately 40 BC uh, or maybe 37 BC up until about 4 BC or 1 BC, depending on how the calendar is, is, um, is calculated. And... Um, but th this could take place, again, in anywhere from one month to up upwards of two years um, after Jesus was born because we, we're going to see, as we're going to see in, in following verses, um, Jesus wasn't a baby. He was actually a child. 
when the Magi visited. So let's put ourselves in the mindset of uh, the first century Jew who, who's hearing and, or reading these words for the first time. So, the, so first off, we see the word behold there in the third line. And, and so that's the Greek word I do. And does anyone remember when a gospel writer or anyone, any of the writers of the Bible use the word behold, do you ever recall what they're trying to say here? Basically what they're saying is the very next words are extremely important. And so what Matthew is trying to draw our attention to here are magi from the east who arrived in, in Jerusalem. So the Greek word used for either magi or, or sometimes in other Bible translations, it could be wise men. Uh, that's the Greek word magos, which translates into astrologers. Uh, and it has other meanings as well. It could be a magician or someone who possesses supernatural powers and it was even used to describe someone who's a deceptive or person or, or a, a seducer. Um, but to the first century Jew, this meant that the Magi were men who studied the movements of the stars and the movements of the planets and they looked for things to line up. And, and not only that, the, the, the Magi were, they were known as a priestly line also in the land of Persia. And, and there had been a Jewish community in in Persia, uh, in particular in Babylon, and we know that from the book of Daniel. Um, and even during the day of the Magi, there were descendants of the Jews who were exiled, uh, living in Babylon. And so these Magi would have been familiar with Jewish prophecy of a Messiah. They, they would have known, uh, or have been familiar with the scroll of Daniel, and they would have known all of these prophecies about the Messiah. Uh, and if you want to read about it further, you can look in Daniel chapter 2 uh, through chapter 6, where Daniel actually interprets the dreams of the king of Babylon. And because of this, Daniel is actually appointed to be the head of the Magi during that time. So the Magi would have definitely been familiar with the prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So to the first century Jew, th this was a huge deal that, that you have non-Jews, and, and these guys are pagans. They are, they are not Jewish, um, and they're, they're, con they're traveling. Oops, I might be missing a slide here. Let's imagine that, imagine there's a map up there right now. <laughs> and the, um, they travel, um, depending on the trade routes, it could be 800 and 900 miles. Um, and it could have taken them anywhere from six weeks to 120 days because camels maybe were able to do 20 to 30 miles in a day. So that's how long these guys traveled um, in order to see a prophecy fulfilled. And they would have traveled in a huge caravan and, and it's, they would have been hard to miss because they would have, with the treasures that they were bringing, they would have had an armed escort. And suddenly these strangers, they... They would, have, they would have, they show up in Jerusalem and they would have stood out. So if you remember some of the paintings that there are of the Magi, they really did have those conical shaped hats. Um, that's not something that's made up. So they would have stood out in, in first century Jerusalem and, and maybe even the way they spoke because they were from either ancient Persia or ancient Babylon. Um, and so they're asking questions in the capital city about someone who's born king of the Jews and they, they, because they expect the king of the Jews to be in that capital city. And, and what's interesting, again, is Matthew is drawing our attention to the fact that these are pagan men looking for the king of the Jews because they believe in this ancient prophecy of the Jewish Messiah. And, and as they're asking these questions in Jerusalem, we, we have to wonder why the star led them there. Well, if we look at the text, it actually didn't. They saw it rising in the east. 
Um, and, and that's the totally opposite direction from when, where they're headed. They're headed west towards Jerusalem. So, so they see this sign in the heavens, in the eastern skies, and they load up their camels and they head west. And, and the star didn't lead them to Jerusalem, according to the text. Oh, thanks, Nathaniel. I must have misplaced that slide. So you can see uh, the trade route that they would have followed um, to get possibly from Babylon to Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem. So this was a long journey. These are, these, these are, these are guys who, who undertook a very long journey to see this prophecy fulfilled. And we don't know exactly what the, what the star was. Matthew doesn't give us very many details other than that it's his star. And, and really that's, that's all we, we, we need to know because what Matthew is drawing our attention to is the fact that there are Gentiles, there are pagans who are seeking the Christ child. That's the most important thing to know about these two verses. And that brings us to our first lesson point. And hopefully I didn't uh, juggle this. Whoops. Let me just go back here really quick. Wise men and wise women seek the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the Magi were earnestly seeking for Jesus, specifically to worship him and to pay homage to him. They were actually seeking who someone they truly believed was a king. They were, they were asking the question, where is he? And, and this is really a question everyone needs to ask and, and to have answered, not just around Christmas time. Uh, our, our natural state is not to seek after Christ. Our natural state is to seek after things, our, our, whether it be a career or a reputation or some relationship or some type of achievement or some award or some material possession. It's always something to, to puff ourselves up, uh, wanting to show off on social media, wanting to do all these things just to to get our name out there and make ourselves known. So in our natural state, we think of the here and now because that's all we can see. We don't always have our eyes towards the eternal. And wise men and wise women have their eyes on the eternal and they seek after the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like today where the faithful Christians are looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, there were people in first century Jerusalem and in, even in the Roman Empire who had an expectation that something was going to happen. The Romans during that time were, were expecting a new golden age while the Jews of that time were expecting um, the Messiah to appear. But, but as we'll see in the next set of verses, not everyone was looking for the Messiah. Okay, and when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And this is the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. So now we come to Herod. And he was called Herod the Great. Um, he was half Jewish, half Idumean. And so uh, if you're Edomian, you're, you're uh, Edomite. So that's, those are the people who live south of Israel. And he was appointed king of the Jewish lands by the Roman Emperor Augustus, either in 40 BC or 37 BC. And like most people with power, he started out um, on good terms with the people. He, he built the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Uh, he built the great fortress of Masada. And actually in 25 BC, there was a huge famine in the land and he took his own gold and sold it so that he could feed the Jewish people. And so that sounds like a pretty great guy, right? But he was also insane. 
um, especially when it came to holding on to power. He was supposedly married 10 times. Um, his favorite wife was named Mariamne, who was from a well-known Jewish household, and he married her so that he would be more acceptable to the Jews. He ends up killing her. Then he kills his brother-in-law, who was a high priest in the Jewish temple. And then he kills three of his sons, all because he was suspicious that they wanted his power, that they wanted his throne, and he did not want to give up his throne, not even to a family member. And the Roman Emperor Augustus actually said that it, it's better to be Herod's pig than it is to be Herod's son because of what he did. And when Herod knew that he was dying, he actually rounded up some very prominent Jews and he gave his soldiers instructions that the moment I die, I want you to kill these prominent Jews so that there will actually be weeping around the time of my death. So this is the type of man that, that Herod was. And when the Magi arrive, Herod is in his final year or so of his life, and we're told that Herod was deeply troubled. And the Greek word used here for troubled is tarasso. And that quite literally means to shake something back and forth, or, or if you're looking at a, at a pot of boiling water, how the water is agitated. That's how shaken up he was at this news that a king was to be born. And, and the other thing about the Magi that is that is interesting is that this priestly line in the ancient world, so they were magi not just in Persia, they were located even throughout the Roman Empire. And so the magi were also known as the kingmakers of the ancient world. So when they showed up somewhere asking about a king, that meant that they had the intent to crown someone king. And so again, that gets Herod all spun up. And so that brings us to our second lesson point. Herod had no room in his heart for Jesus, the Messiah. Just, just the thought of a rival to his throne was enough to freak him out. And this is what power does. This is, this is what prestige does. This is what happens when, when a man elevates himself. And this is what happens when, when a person forgets about their character and their morals and only thinks about building up something for themselves, building up their throne or or maintaining their status in, in, in their community. And it's, it's, it's lonely up there at, at the top when you make your life's work about fulfilling just yourself, about satisfying yourself, about taking hold of all that this secular world says is good. And when you're so high up, you actually lose sight of what's important in your life because you're too busy making a living to support your lifestyle. And it won't be long before even the people close to you, like Herod's uh, wife and his sons, become a threat to your way of life. And it, it's been said time and time again that any man or woman who likes to control um, other people is someone who's lost control over their own life. And there's, there's still elderly parents out there that in the city and out in the farmlands who are still trying to control their adult children and trying to tell them what to do. And, and when these people don't comply, they, in a sense, imitate Herod and they flip out and they do crazy things or they slide into a depression. This is... This is why, as Christians, we're always on a slippery slope when we think that we can balance God's priorities with the world's offerings. Because when you're that high up, there, you may think that there's nothing that you can't get away with, and eventually people start making excuses for their sins and trying to find a way to avoid penalties. When you're like Herod and you don't have any room in your heart or in your mind for the Holy Spirit of God, then, then you live by your own rules. 
you'll do whatever you want to whomever you want to protect your own throne. And you'll think like Herod that you're not accountable to anyone. And the, the people around you who you should be caring about end up becoming a threat to you and your throne instead of being someone who you should be protecting and loving. And the person who thinks about protecting his or her own throne or his or her own reputation in the community ends up being like Herod. So we understand why Herod was troubled, but it's also written that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And they may have heard, the people in Jerusalem may have heard earlier stories of a bunch of shepherds down in Bethlehem who were talking about the appearance of angels and then being led to visit a manger or or a stable where this baby was born, king of the Jews. And they're probably wondering, well, what, what is this story? Is, is, is this story that we heard a few months ago or, or two years ago actually true? Was, was the, the Messiah born and, and, and we missed out? What, what, what happens now? And, and much like the Lord Jesus Christ describes his second coming and compares it to the days of Noah, his first coming was met with the same lack of awareness. And people were going about their business day in and day out, not paying attention to the signs, not really taking scripture seriously, which was the, the same situation with the chief priests and the scribes. That Herod called them in to ask them, what, 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 what's going on? And, and it's interesting that Herod calls them in before he calls the Magi in to find out what's going on. The, the chief priests and the scribes back then were as much into politics as they were into religion. So they had enough, they had adequate reason to be just as afraid of of Herod, uh, that there was a king of the Jews born and possibly in their city. And they, they knew scripture as well, obviously, because we can see here that they're quoting from Micah chapter 5, but that's all they actually knew. These were, these were men who should have been looking for signs of the Messiah's arrival, but as much as they knew what the scriptures said, they didn't take hold of the meaning of scripture, which brings us to our third lesson point. The religious elite knew scripture, but they did not know the God of the Bible. They, they were blind to the truth of scripture. They were blind to the truth of who God was. They, they had head knowledge, but they didn't have heart knowledge. They knew scripture verses, and they knew them by heart. But they didn't believe what the scripture said. And, and if, if they did, they were looking at it through their own rose-colored glasses that the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ didn't match what they had in their minds as to who he should be. So, okay, a bunch of shepherds are saying that they saw angels and that the Christ was born in a barn. That, that can't be the Messiah. Those, those, those shepherds are crackpots. Or, or wait, he, this, this baby wasn't born in the royal court? Well, it can't be the Messiah. Oh, wait, who's, who's telling us about the arrival of the Messiah? A bunch of... A bunch of pagans from the east, they're not Jewish. They don't, they don't go to our temple. They don't abide by our 600 rules to get into heaven. These magi, they don't know what they're talking about. And so the chief priests and the scribes were so wrapped up in their own religious responsibilities and in their own traditions that their hearts were not in tune to what God was doing at that very moment in time. So it was a 15th century writer, John Haywood, who wrote, the nearer the church, the further from God. And he meant that the religious system, in particular the priests and those involved in organizing the religious system, 
are in danger of separating themselves from God. They put too much emphasis on the look of things. They put too much emphasis on ceremony. And so those things become more important than God. Knowing and worshiping Yahweh God takes a backseat to how we look and how we perform things in church and in our lives. And the chief priests and the scribes started out with good intentions several hundred years ago, but by the time Jesus arrived on the scene 2,000 years ago, they'd been corrupted by politics and became hypocritical in their thinking. And these are the same, this is the same group that 30 years later would seek to have Jesus killed. And there, there's another danger here if you have head knowledge and not, not uh, heart knowledge of scripture. And that is, if you don't believe as truth what you're reading in scripture, then you run the risk of worshiping a God of your own making. You create a God that you never have to fear, a God who will let you do what you want and live the way you want so long as you come to church on a Sunday. Uh, a God who will never hurt your feelings and, and, and never withhold anything from you, anything that you want, and will always heal you of what ails you. A God who won't punish you when you lose your way or, will rescue, or he will always rescue you from any earthly penalties and any earthly consequences of your bad decisions. So we have to be careful about falling into this trap that the chief priests and the scribes did of worshiping a God that we design in our own heads, um, basically to make us feel better about our lives. And, and there's one more thing about the, the chief priests and the scribes. If, if they were truly waiting for the Messiah, then why didn't they go with the, ma with the Magi to Bethlehem? Why didn't they based on the prophecy, when they heard either the news of the shepherds or saw the Magi wandering around Jerusalem, why didn't they travel the five or six miles to Bethlehem to look for this newborn child? It was because they had their own vision of God and so they were worshiping a God of their own making. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and carefully determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. So Herod summons them in secret and he carefully learns from them when the star appeared. And he's obviously, he's being very crafty here. And, he, and you notice he says there, search carefully, do it in secret and then bring that news back to me. This foreshadows the, the slaughter of the innocents, the slaughter of the young boys under the age of two that take place in the verses that follow what we're studying today. And in, in Herod, we see the conflict between sinful desires and the need for forgiveness that God wants us to accept through the Lord Jesus Christ, the need to, to bow down to the creator of the universe instead of elevating ourselves to a state of godhood, and the, the need to accept the fact that no matter what we accumulate in this world, none of it will save us from the wrath of God. Only the long-expected Messiah can do that. And yet there are people today who live as if he still hadn't show, hasn't shown up. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it ro rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So, so the Magi are sent on a mission by the king, and again, we have the word behold, but now Matthew is drawing our attention to the star. Um, and you know what this actually tells us is that 
for those of us who are faithfully seeking after God, God will meet your needs when he decides that you need it the most. And, and maybe this time what they saw wasn't an astronomical phenomenon like some scholars suspect. Maybe this time is, it's what's called the Shekinah glory, the actual physical appearance of God. And this was God showing himself to meet, to meet their needs because the star is leading them south and we know looking at the skies, if we face the south, we know the stars are going to move from east to west. This, whatever it was that they saw, was moving south. Stars don't move in that direction and stars, they don't settle over houses. This could have only been the glory of God revealed, again, to pagans. And it says here that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And the literal translation is they rejoiced with an, a great joy exceedingly. And this might have been a, a Hebrewish expression. I've been trying to research it. Haven't exactly been able to find the root, but the best explanation is using a baseball analogy is it's bases are loaded, your team's down by three. It's a full count. The only thing that's going to help is a home run. And you're sitting there, you watch the pitch, you hear the crack of the bat against the ball and you hold your breath as you see the ball fly over the left field. That is exactly how Matthew was trying to say the Magi felt when they saw the star and they saw it settle over, over that one house in Bethlehem. That was God meeting their needs at that very moment. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So imagine this scene, the Magi coming to a small house of a poor couple. And this might be a little too small. This is what a house actually looked like in first century Israel. Uh, maybe 500 square feet at the most. 24 feet by 24 feet. Um, maybe a third of this area where we're worshiping right now. And as you can see, it included the living area, which is on the bottom level. And then there's a small area for livestock as well. So try sticking your sheep in there along with where your kitchen is and, and your dining area. And it was about 15 feet high. So, the, so each level was only about seven feet. So cramped quarters. This is... So this is proof to us as to just how poor Mary and Joseph were. And this is not where you would expect to find a king. And yet they did because God doesn't operate on our level. He chooses to arrive in the world the way he wants and not how we want. And despite the size of the house and the poor parents, the Magi, the Magi still know without a doubt that the baby in there, because the star settled there, they know without a doubt that this is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah and they bow down and they worship him. And this brings us to our final lesson point. The Magi, and they knew this, the Magi worshiped the one true king. In the pre preceding uh, verses, there is no information at all that the Magi, when they saw Herod, bowed down to him at all. And here in our current verses that we're looking at, take note that they didn't bow down to worship Mary they only bowed down to worship the baby. Their worship was directed at Christ and Christ alone because the Lord Jesus Christ is God in flesh and he alone is worthy of our worship, no one else. 
no angels, no human believers who've already passed on before us. All the glory, all the honor, all the worship belongs to, to Jesus the Christ and to him alone. And not only did they worship, but they gave gifts, gifts that we're all familiar with, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And gold back then is as precious as it is today. Uh, and it, it's still a universal symbol of wealth. It's, it's, it, gold is an appropriate gift for a king, especially in the ancient world. And it was known as the medal of kings. And the gift of gold was the acknowledgement by the Magi that Jesus had the right to rule. Frankincense was a sweet-smelling incense that was used in temple sacrifices. And frankincense is a gift for a priest because it was mixed with meal offerings in the temple. And those offerings were presented to the priest, and the priest offered them as thanksgiving and praise gifts to God. And by presenting the frankincense to Jesus, it, it was an acknowledgment by the Magi that Jesus is our great high priest who offered the only pleasing sacrifice to God the Father for the sins of the world. And then myrrh is a spice that's said to be a gift for someone who's dying. Um, and it was used for embalming. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was buried, it's written in the Gospel of John that 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes were used to prepare the body. And th there's something else that can be said about the, uh, the gifts and the worship. And it's that the Magi had the right attitude about giving. They, they weren't giving as many people do to get something back, nor did they just give because other people were looking. They gave generously from the heart um, because they wanted to honor God. And after they worshiped and after they gave, they, just like Joseph, were warned in a dream. And so here we see, we see God speaking to pagans in a dream, establishing that even, the, that even then, God wasn't just the God of the Jews. God was the God of all who would trust and believe in him. And so the Magi, they take an alternate route home, and that must have been something considering that they, they had a huge caravan and that they had to go another way so none of Herod's men would see him. And we don't hear about them again in the Bible, but they must have spread the news when they got back home to Persia or to Babylon, where they were actually from, that a prophecy had been fulfilled, uh, that hope had come into the world. And yet, the overall significance of just these 12 verses is, is clear, that the newborn king is the king of the Jews and the Gentiles. He's the king of all people groups, and all honor and all glory from all the nations belong to him. And so this brings us to our three questions because when you learn about Jesus and what he accomplished and the reality that Jesus is God, you have a decision to make. You either accept or you reject him as king. So the first question is, who are you in this story? How you respond to Jesus right now and in this very moment determines the state of your heart. Your response can't be hidden by the remaining Christmas lights and decorations or the sounds of the new year ringing in. Are you like the chief priests and the scribes? They knew of God. They knew of the prophecies of the Messiah, but they were indifferent. They, they weren't clueless. They just, it just slipped past them. Some of them didn't actually care. They weren't interested in actually looking for the Messiah. It's like giving a person a shovel and telling them to dig for gold, but all they do is just, they just push dirt around instead of digging, digging deep into the soil. They're just scratching the surface, and that's enough for them. And these people can 
they can be standing in this very spot where I am now and they can quote scripture by heart and they can wow people in the congregation and, and get them fired up with just their words and, and yet the lessons that they teach may just scratch the surface. They may not even be biblical even though they sound biblical and they do this either from a place of ignorance or they do it from a position of arrogance and they don't ever do the research to find out if they're actually right or wrong and this, they just automatically assume that they're right and hard, are, hardly think about accountability. And th there are people who sit in church congregations or watch online and say, hey, I'm here, uh, just checking off the box on a Sunday because that's what's expected of me. Some of them even know their, their Bible verses and can quote scenes from the life of Jesus, but they don't actually believe in their hearts what they're saying. They're just, it's, it's just something they do when people are looking. We can go on with, with numerous examples, and, but there are people in churches across the country and around our world who are living lives as if Jesus doesn't exist except for just a few hours on Sunday. And These people know scripture, but scripture hasn't gotten from their heads into their hearts. Or are you like Herod? You don't have to do evil things like he did to be like Herod. All you have to do to be like Herod is to want to hang on to your throne at all costs. And it doesn't matter if you live in a penthouse in the city or on a farm in the country or somewhere in between. There are Herod-like people sitting in church in every single town, every single city, every single county and state on this planet. They, these people have an outright rejection of Jesus as king. And these are people who work to just accumulate stuff for themselves and that's their throne. Or if they choose to spend more time on a relationship with someone and yet don't set aside time for God's word or prayer, that's their throne. Or if they're so obsessed with their jobs that they, that, that, that they do and, they, and the praise that they get from, from people because of it and they choose that career and only give God half a day on Sunday, then that's their throne. If being a social butterfly is important to them and, and they, they gotta make sure people know who they are and they're always going to social events just to get their name out there and they're always worried that something bad is gonna happen as far as their reputation, that reputation is their throne. That's the scariest thing about someone who is more concerned about looking good than actually doing good. And this type of person who loves their reputation, who likes people to come to them this is the exact opposite of who Jesus was. It's the exact opposite of his character because Jesus didn't expect us to come to him. Jesus came to us. Jesus left heaven and gave up his throne in heaven to come to us to rescue us because we are worth leaving heaven for and leaving that throne behind for and we are worth saving. And the sad part about Herod-like people is that when this time of the year comes and winter settles in and it gets cold and the gloom and the Christmas gatherings are over, this is when they reflect on the regrets of their life. They talk about how bad times came to them when in reality most of the time those bad times are probably self-inflicted. If a person sees the Jesus of the Bible as a threat to their way of life now, then they're like Herod. Because Jesus is the only one worthy of any throne. And, and to be a true follower of Jesus, you have to surrender your throne to him. Herod wouldn't do that because his heart was only truly for himself. Or are you more like the Magi? 
Some of you have journeyed a long way to find Jesus. You've been through a lot. You've been through trials. You've been through struggles. But you still pushed through. You still made that journey through, the, through your own desert, through your own wilderness. And when you heard about him, you left the comforts of your own home. You left family. Some left friends behind and sought him out because you recognized his sovereignty and you surrendered all to him. This, this is sacrificial acceptance of Jesus as king. And we know these people by their fruit. And, and an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ will change you. And you will be like that tree that bears a different type of fruit. A, a genuine follower of, Je a follower of Jesus grows more and more into the fruit of the Spirit. They don't, they don't stay the same. This means more patience, more kindness, more generosity, not less. It means being a person of integrity and a person who serves. And they especially increase in knowledge of the triune God of the Bible by constantly seeking out his character in Scripture. If a person isn't growing in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're still the same person that they were before they met Jesus, then you have to question if they really are a follower of Jesus. Are they just scratching the surface? Or are they an outright rejection? Or do they choose sacrificial acceptance of who he is? And this brings us to our second question. Are you faithfully seeking after the God of the Bible or are you worshiping a God of your own making? And people have been doing this since the beginning of time, creating their own gods to suit their own purposes. Usually you can tell who they are because uh, they only want to focus on God's love and not consider God's wrath. Or there's chapters of the Bible that they just can't, absolutely cannot stand. And so they, they refuse to read them. They say, oh, I, hate, I hate that chapter. I hate those verses. Or, or they think that as long as they're a good person, they'll get to heaven. And righteousness and goodness are defined by God, not us. And for the person who creates a God of convenience, the God of the Bible doesn't fit into their idea of who they want to worship. And so they act because they actually don't want to bow down to anyone who gets in the way of their life. And the reality is, is that G if, because Jesus is God and Jesus is king, we are not. And so wise men and wise women continually seek the Lord Jesus Christ. They never cease. That's the noticeable change. They, they seek knowledge of him and they seek to imitate his character. They study the Bible with others or if they can't be with a group, they spend time alone in God's word. They find Jesus in the Bible and are f spiritually fed each day. Wise men and wise women also know that no matter what they do in this life, uh, they can't save themselves. And so we know that being a member of a ch church doesn't save anyone. Only the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary is the only act ever done that can save a, a human being. Nothing else. Wise men and wise women know that they can't buy righteousness. God is the only one who is truly righteous. And when we believe in the Son of God and his atoning sacrifice and we repent of our sins, the righteousness of Jesus is transferred to us. It doesn't work any other way. And so with that in mind, here's our final question. Will you place the gift of yourself at the feet of Jesus? So give him your gold. Acknowledge him as the one who has the right to sit on the throne of your life. He won't take your throne by force. You, you have to surrender it voluntarily.
whatever your throne is, give it up. And when you're done with that, give him your myrrh. You have to spiritually die to yourself and to your desires because if you don't spiritually die, then the spirit of Jesus can't fill you. So will you die to yourself today? Will you die to yourself every day? And then if you can die to yourself daily, then you can genuinely give him your frankincense in the form of worship. Make your worship an offering of all that you are. Give him your whole heart. Make it a, a sweet-scented offering of praise and thanksgiving and commitment and trust. And let God change you into who he wants you to be, not who you want to be. And if you've given of yourself, if you've surrendered in this way, your life should be following a different path. And you will be changed. You will continue to bear fruit that genuinely shows that God has done a work in you. And it's a daily thing that we have to do. We have to die to ourselves daily. And we have to bear that fruit daily. Jesus came into the world to save all sinners. We know that from this, just from these verses, from the Gentile to the Jew. And so don't be afraid to let him change you. And I'm, I'm not saying this just because people make New Year's resolutions today that they want to follow next year, but let him change you. Be, trust him to make you better than who you are today, to, to turn you into the image of himself. Because when he does that, other people will see it and you can testify to his love. You can testify to why Jesus came to earth. And you can validate too what's said in the scriptures that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so with that, Nathaniel has our, our closing song is once again going to be come the long expected Jesus because every day should be a, a day of anticipation for him for him, uh, whether it's his return or just that you woke up in the morning and he gave you breath that morning so that you can present his image to the world, not just to your fellow brothers and sisters here, but also to your family and to your friends, because we're all on a great commission to let the world know that Jesus has come, he's here, he's risen and that he can change lives. So with that, why don't we all stand and allow Nathaniel to lead us in our closing song.